for me, evangelism probably never will be comfortable. And so I kind of dive into it as uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. And it's almost like the way I approach exercise. Exercise is not fun for me. It's not comfortable. It's not enjoyable. Um, but I do it. And I know that it's very, very good. It's a good thing. It's very profitable. And for me, for a whole host of reasons, it's absolutely necessary. So, so I gave up the hope of finding comfortable evangelism which frees me up to do it a little bit more, and even a little more comfortably, ironically so. Hey everybody, this is Joseph. Thanks a lot for checking back in with us here at Overflow Today, where we take five minutes to see how your walk with Christ can overflow into the lives of your non-Christian friends, confidently, relevantly, and the ideas come from the best books on evangelism in the world. Today on Overflow, a longer, nearly 30-minute show We'll interview Randy Newman, author of the book Questioning Evangelism, and another book called Corner Conversations, both from Kriegel Publications. Now, this guy's got a lot of rich experience to draw from. He's Jewish. He has over 20 years' experience as an on-location college campus minister to students. But he now specializes in connecting university professors with the gospel. He's married with kids. He's studying towards a PhD. He's working on writing his third book. Other than that, he's got nothing to do with all his spare time. So he loiters around bookstores. And that's exactly where we nabbed him recently, near his home in Fairfax, Virginia. Some of your favorite rock bands in college, as you think back. <laughs> or Motown, whatever you liked. You know, it's funny, on my way here, I was trying to anticipate some possible questions. This is not one that came to mind. <laughs> All right, well, here's, here's the bad news for you is I, I, I never really was into rock that much. I'm really a big jazz fan. So John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, um, Dave Brubeck, oh, man. Uh, today I really like the music of uh, Joe Sample, David Benoit, Earl Klug. How's life in Northern Virginia right now? It's good. It's busy. It's... A lot of traffic. I'm here in my favorite bookstore, Borders. My car automatically pulls into this parking lot every time I go past, even if I don't, I was going to say if I don't need a book. Of course I always need books. I mean, you know. Favorite books maybe that you've read lately or ones that you've, it doesn't have to be, but if you want it to be, it will be. (laughs) I think it's pretty interesting. Um, Well, we were just chatting a little bit ago about um, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, and I really, really do like that. And that's... That's probably going to be my favorite book now to give to a thoughtful non-Christian because I feel like I'm not embarrassed by anything that he says in that book and I um, he really does show respect for people of other points of view and 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 for the the points of view that he sh- he expresses a respect for the logic of those different unbeliefs. Now, he thinks Christianity is true and right and better than those ones, but it's not this condemnation and it's not this belittling of their points of view. I think he has a lot of respect for people because they're people created in the image of God. When did you come to Christ, and uh, what, what's the one-minute version of, of your coming to Christ? Uh, I was a sophomore in college at Temple University. I grew up Jewish, grew up in a Jewish home, very 
typical traditional Jewish family, which means we didn't really think about Jesus at all. Uh, our family was not really that observant, but I was kind of more questioning and seeking. Uh, a friend invited me down to his church youth group in high school and uh, for the fun part and for the fact that the girls were cute, so that's why I went. But that's where I heard the gospel and heard about knowing God in a personal way, not as a result of performance and obeying rules. And, and I was really attracted to these people's faith. They really did know God in a personal way. They they prayed about everything. They prayed in their own words. They prayed in English. <laughs> I thought God only knew Hebrew, you know. So um, uh, then I went away to college, met some more Christians, and it was a lot of dialogue and back and forth and wrestling and, hey, wait a minute, Jewish people don't believe this kind of stuff. And uh, middle of my sophomore year, it all kind of came together of, wait a minute, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and he was. We're talking to author Randy Newman. Randy, I'm just curious, some of the emotions you feel sometimes, maybe negative emotions, when an evangelistic opportunity presents itself. I'm um, just curious uh, if every every evangelistic opportunity is met with great joy, or if some of them uh, you feel a little funny about sometimes. As you see something about to present itself, sometimes do you feel negative emotions at all? Most of the time I have negative emotions. <laughs> um, most of the time I have fear and dread and um, I really wish you wouldn't have used the word laziness, but I think that that is an accurate part of the picture. And, and actually, there's another, what is it? It's not just fear, it's not just laziness, it's, it's such a strong love of comfort. It's an idolatry of comfort. I don't want to be uncomfortable. And um, for, but for me, it was a breakthrough many years ago when I when I accepted the fact that for me, evangelism probably never will be comfortable, and so I kind of dive into it as uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable, and it's almost like the way I approach exercise. So I have an internal dialogue that goes on a lot of times when I anticipate an evangelistic opportunity and when I'm in the middle of it of something along the lines in my mind of um, Lord I would uh, I value comfort more than I value the glory of God I confess it it's idolatry it's sin thank you that's why Jesus died for me and and I pray that you set me free so that I really can focus on something more important than my ease We're talking to author Randy Newman today on The Overflow Show. Your first book was called, or is titled, Questioning Evangelism. Why did you write that? My approach to evangelism was much more of this dialogical kind of thing. And as I started sharing that with people, I found that more and more I, I was talking to people who were frustrated with an approach that wasn't dialogical. I just started experimenting with a more back-and-forth conversational approach with using a lot of questions, getting them to talk, listening carefully to what they said and try to use something that they said. Um, and as I shared it more and more, more and more people said to me, boy, you ought to write this down. How might an exchange occur uh, with the questioning evangelism approach? Maybe you can think of a recent conversation or one five years ago, but... 
what's kind of a cool conversation you had where you saw the person open up a little more, just something where you saw the ice melt a little because of the questioning uh, approach? Well, the first one that comes to mind, my mind is one I share in the book. So uh, a non-Christian student posed a question to me in a pretty antagonistic, attacking kind of way. So this one time after kind of wrestling with this a whole lot, I decided instead of answering the question, I'd throw a question back at the person. He said to me, are you telling me that everybody who disagrees with you is going to hell? And I said, well, do you believe in hell? And immediately that engaged him to do some thinking that he wasn't doing before. He said, no, I don't believe in hell. And then I said, well, then why do you care what I believe about this? And he looked confused, but then he said, what, what do you mean? I said, well, if there is no such place as hell in your mind, well, why do you care if I think some people go there and some people don't? And, uh, and I wasn't trying to be funny or anything. I was trying to get the guy sort of unhooked from this antagonism and non-thinking position he had held for a very long time. And uh, he said, well... Um, uh, maybe there is a hell. I don't know. I said, well, if there was a place such as hell, would I mean, do you think anybody goes there? Well, yeah, I guess so. Okay, so is there a place called heaven? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so he was thinking. He was wrestling with heaven and hell. And it became, it unfolded to be a very, very productive and meaningful dialogue. Whereas if I, when in other situations I had just given a straight, direct answer, I think it pushed the person further away rather than leading them closer to the gospel. So you're helping him unpack his own thoughts almost, and you're seeking his opinion on things. That's part of the uh, enjoyment that the other person can have in a conversation like that, right? Yeah, it's enjoyment. Um, It it also shows respect for them, and and I think it also shows respect for the fact that... um, Uh, God has created this person in his image. Now they're lost and they're separated from Christ and they're fallen, which is tragic, but they still have the image of God and there still is some... uh, Yes, reasoning and logic is, is marred and harmed by sin and by the fall, but it's not obliterated. Uh, and I think about the many, many times Jesus engaged people in conversation, and Paul engaged people, and Paul used reason. And um, that phrase, Paul reasoned from the scriptures, is repeated in many times in the book of Acts. I think of Paul's approach on Mars Hill in Acts 17. He appealed to their reason. So engaging people's minds in the process is not... Um, negated by our biblical belief that people are, are, are sinful and, and separated from God. Great. It, I like that tone because it's less adversarial. I think we can fall into the trap of kind of a frame of mind, kind of an us-them thing. We don't really feel that way in general, but I think sometimes when we get into an evangelistic conversation, suddenly it can feel competitive or we can maybe feel a little threatened because we're not sure if we're going to have all the answers. But I love your statement about asking questions shows respect for the image of God in that person. Yeah, well, I think we very much do have an us-them mindset, and uh, and to a certain extent we should. We must. Um, I don't want to abandon that the way I think some 
theological perspectives have. Um, so, so it is an us-them kind of thing, and it is the saved versus the unsaved. It is the saved versus lost, sure. Um, but uh, I think some... And, and there's plenty of passages in the Bible that would support that kind of thing. But there are other passages that also support the idea of um, that people can be engaged in a thoughtful way. And again, I, I mean, I keep repeating myself, but I look at the way Jesus engaged people. He told stories and expected them to understand his point. Um, he asked questions uh, and, and expected their answers to be used by God, by him, to draw them closer. Um, and, and, you know, just the, the most profound one, I think, in my mind is that one in Mark chapter 10 where the, the person says, good teacher, the man comes to Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And then engages in a dialogue that moves the guy actually to a point of being very painfully aware that he's lost. Uh, in a way that he didn't know or he didn't realize or he didn't acknowledge at the beginning of the dialogue. You're listening to The Overflow Show. We're talking to author Randy Newman. So I like questions like, well, do you ever think much about spiritual things? Or what part have spiritual things played in your life? Um, uh, is religion a significant part of your life? Um, um, it does a, is a belief in God something that informs or shapes your life? Um, maybe even a little further back than that is, well, what, what, what are some of the big deals in your life? Or what, what are some of the big philosophies that shape your thinking? Who are some of your favorite authors? Um, what kinds of movies have, have influenced you the most in the way you see life? Those kinds of questions. And they can be woven into a conversation because, you know, if you're getting to know the person, where you're from, what kind of work do you do? Um, for college students, you know, what's your major? Tell me about your family. You're just getting to know the person. You're asking these things. Well, well how about spiritual things? That's another category. What, what part, if any, have spiritual issues played in your life? In your book, Questioning Evangelism, you make a point that it's possible or often the case that a skeptic's position requires blind faith. There's a lot of blind faith involved, and you kind of take the reader through helping your friend uh, see that he's in, uh, employing blind faith and taking a position. Can you unpack that a little, or just kind of share how that how that works? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm trying to use the expression blind faith less and less. Um, I think I did use it in the book, but um, I'm trying to use it less and less. And, and I have been influenced a lot by Tim Keller and his book, The Reason for God, in this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I love the idea of trying to, I call it level the playing field. And that is, I'm trying to say that both sides of the debate, if that's what it is, my position and this other person's position both have elements of faith in them um, both have elements of accepting things uh, in ways that you couldn't prove scientifically um, and and so I don't want to use the word blind faith because that that's pejorative and that's maybe insulting 
I accept some things by faith, he accepts things by faith. Now let's talk about our two faith positions, which both have probably some reasons in favor of them and probably have certain elements of doubt about them. We're talking to author Randy Newman today on The Overflow Show. Your second book is called Corner Conversations. How is it different from your first book, which is Questioning Evangelism? Um, well, Corner Conversations is, is written actually for a different audience. Um, it's written for non-Christians. Now, it is also written for the same audience who read Questioning Evangelism, Christians who want to learn how to share their faith in a more dialogical kind of way. But I wrote it with trying to be as sensitive as I could to a non-Christian who would read it. Um, so it's an appeal to uh, engage them in, in sort of eavesdropping in on conversations. Each chapter has addresses a different apologetic question, only instead of just delivering an answer to the question of why does a good God allow evil and suffering, or why should we believe the Bible, or why do Christians think theirs is the only right way, um, instead of just giving an answer to that, I, I, I present a dialogue between a Christian and a non-Christian. So there's whatever it is, seven or eight different conversations. Maybe we could run through uh, one or two of those dialogues or a very brief version. Um, let me throw this one at you. You Christians are pretty silly for believing things like Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes. Don't you think that's pretty silly? Well, isn't it possible? Isn't that at least theoretically possible? Couldn't we allow for the fact that some things happen that are beyond our comprehension? Um, so um, sometimes I tell people I try to progress from no to yes by going through maybe. And I think that that's the case with miracles. Well, isn't it possible that those kind of things did happen? If there is a God, and he's the God who created everything, and he's the God of the supernatural, couldn't he do the miraculous? Couldn't he make food multiply beyond reason? Couldn't he make somebody walk on water? Couldn't he part the Red Sea? And I think, I think once, once you can kind of break through that barrier and allow that, well, if there is a God and he's the God of the supernatural, he could do supernatural things. Well, then, once you allow for that, well, then any miracle is equally as possible, likely, as any other miracle. Excellent. Yeah, I think towards the end of that conversation in the book, you, or maybe at the beginning of that exchange, you say something like, um, so then you're saying that you will only believe in a God that can't do anything beyond human power. Is that what you're telling me? That's, you, you use some type of approach like that in that conversation, right? Right. I, yeah, I want to, um, I want to do it nicely, I hope, but I want to undermine people's confidence in their own ability to grasp all of reality. Um, there are a lot of things we just don't know and that we're just incapable of knowing. So isn't, isn't it possible that there are existences, I mean, proofs or, or, or uh, hints for the existence of God, um, things about him that are beyond human comprehension? Um, and, and I want to try to do that gently because if people really get the point I'm trying to make, it really is kind of a humbling thing. Um, when people when people come to the fact they they accept that 
oh my goodness, I've been claiming to be the smartest person on the planet um, and that God has to make himself understandable by my level of comprehension. That's a pretty arrogant claim. And when people get that, um, it can be a very humbling thing. But it's, a, but it's a very important step, I think, for people in wrestling with who God is. Are you much of a movie guy? Um, well, I'd like to be. <laughs> I really haven't gone to see many movies in a while. And, oh, you know, the, one of the best movies I've seen in a long time, and again, this is a while ago, but I really liked um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Had you, have you seen that? No, I haven't seen that. A Jim Carrey movie, but not a zany Jim Carrey movie, a thoughtful one. How has your ethnicity played into your personal faith, or maybe it hasn't made much of a difference, I don't know, but I'd love to hear any ways that you feel um, your context has made a difference in either how you came to Christ or how you've lived out your walk with Christ. Um, well, it has affected it a lot. Um, Jewish culture and Jewish religion is very experiential, and um, uh, Judaism is a very intellectual and experiential faith, and it doesn't pit those against each other. Um, and so it doesn't see those things as in competition or a threat to each other. So um, I think my faith since coming to Christ has always been trying to pursue both of those, you know, a deep, rich emotional experience and also a very cognitive and intellectual one. So it's a lot of study. I really like studying the scriptures. I like reading books, and that's a very Jewish kind of approach to faith. Um, but also a lot of emphasis on music and worship and uh, feeling. Um, the first time I studied the Lament Psalms was really a pretty transformational, significant growth for me of really expressing deep, deep emotion without thinking that that was a weakness or a, a failure or a, a compromise of faith. So it has played a big part, I think. Randy Newman, thanks for joining us today, author of Corner Conversations and Questioning Evangelism. Thanks for helping us understand how to connect with our non-Christian friends who we love a lot um, in a better way. Thanks. Great to be with you. Now, if you'd like to hear some quick five-minute shows that describe some of Randy's cutting-edge witnessing ideas, we've got six of those shows posted right now for you. My favorite one is on how to answer when someone says, the church is full of hypocrites, so I'd never want to be a Christian. you got to check that one out. Well, that's all for this edition of Overflow Today. Now, all our shows and downloadable small group discussion guides for each show are always available for free for you at our website, overflowtoday.com. That's overflowtoday.com. I'm Joseph Hanford. Now go pour into someone's life.